0: Well, there's a, a special guest star potentially on this this episode. My daughter is here in the room. She has uh, my wife came up with a perfect snack for her: Ritz crackers, which she loves. Who doesn't like Ritz crackers? My son, for one, but we'll work on that. And two, we had some leftover uh, barbecue, some sausage, which it occurs to me now it's jalapeno sausage, but some sausage from uh, Cooper's on Congress. You slice that in half, put some grated cheese on top, and you got yourself like a '70s dinner that's not so terrible. And I think I think that's uh, I think that's occupying her. Plus videos. So uh, if you remember a few episodes back in the exegesis, uh, Fang is eating her brain out as we speak, but allowing me to be productive.
1: Really, we should say she's just the most devoted listener. Yeah, uh, you know, she's quiet and she listens very, very intently. Oh, she needs some water. Hmm. Uh, um, can can you wait just a
0: moment, and I'll get you some. Okay. Well, speaking of, I'll have to make a uh, guest co-host little profile for her. Put it on there every night. Well, speaking of that, so we got we got big big week this week, Brandon, and it's only Monday, so it's just gonna get bigger. Uh, but that's that's not true. So we've decided, in our infinite wisdom, I mean, we have maybe uh, I think it would be fair to say three hundred years of combined product management experience amongst the three of us. You think? Maybe yeah it sounds like a safe estimate because you know very accurate we 've been working on internet time, so that 's why it 's so big we've we 've been around since uh, internet time we 're just just born on internet time, which means we 're probably going to die sometime next year, but uh, so we should make some arrangements because uh, the uh the candle that burns twice as bright uh tenhauser gate um, so uh we've decided we're going we 're going take the exegesis podcast out of the pay well, paywall the patron thing, which has been great. Everyone's been very supportive. We could go on and on about that. Like, I think that was one of the things in this podcast that uh, gave us a good morale boost that people actually cared. And uh, we're going to combine it together with a new podcast that we're calling Software Defined Interviews, where we'll, will I don't know, sometimes we'll go out, but we will talk with people who are not us three uh, and and interview them about topics that they have, which is, <clears throat> I would say, hmm, Maybe the top legitimate request we've gotten is to talk with more people. I was just, I got, I forget if I went over this, I, I got some feedback from my my wife, Kim, the CFO of the family, if you remember. And uh, to summarize it, she said, I like the ones that Matt Ray is on. So we got that going for us. <laughs> big more fan. Matt Ray. That's big, what we need. More big Matt fan Ray. of Matt Ray. But I think in addition to that, uh, you know, we I often hear from people that we should interview people. So, the upshot of that is like we're going to shut down the Patreon thing. So this is like going to be the last episode I'll I'll uh, put in that feed. Um and and you know, you don't need to pay for it anymore. The money y'all have given has been fantastic and has helped out like uh like I said it's it's been good. Um and I, I switched it over now just as right in time cuz the next charging window is February 1st. So you're in luck. Uh you 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 won't pay that by accident. Um and then I think I'll leave that open for about a month or so because Uh, in theory, y'all have all been subscribing to your private RSS feeds. Uh, And so we'll put this episode in there just to remind you, but you got to switch over to the new feed, which is going to be at softwaredefinedinterviews.com. You can imagine the URL. Uh, So if you go there, there'll be the RSS feed to subscribe to. And luckily, if you haven't been paying for this, uh, we've imported all the old episodes into the back catalog, along with the funky little stuff I used to do over at one of my other podcasts that we're taking over there. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good, uh, I think it's up to like 52 episodes that we're starting with of, of sizing and uh, interviewing and stuff like that. And uh, we'll interleave more exegesizing into the interview thing uh, ongoing. But, but it should be nice. We'll have uh, an excuse to talk with people. So uh, we, already, we just recorded an interview with um, my old friend, uh, John Collins, uh, about uh, the exciting world of GDPR. Did I get that right? P.R.? Uh, about right. about data regulations that are coming into effect in the EU. That uh, you know, if you're in the infrastructure IT space, you care about audit and compliance and and stuff like that. Uh, and so, actually, it's it's a it's a fun conversation. And I think later this week, I'm going to record uh, an interview with Nancy Goring, who uh, works at Four Five One, and she used to uh, be an editor on various tech news things. And we'll be talking about everyone's favorite topic, monitoring. She uh, she basically covers monitoring for Four Five One. So I'll just uh go we'll go over just what's going on in that area and then... maybe
1: she can she can explain uh the difference between monitoring and observability Ooh, to that's, to us all.
0: That's right once one. and for all. That's a good one. I like it. And uh and then ongoing we'll have other stuff like that. So if if, if y'all out there have any ideas of of people uh you'd like interviewed or topics, feel free to send them on. I think we've got a list of like ten or fifteen people uh that we've been thinking about. So hopefully that'll be nice. And 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 if you don't like that, then I'm sorry. But uh, we're going to do it anyways. Now, uh, I think I think that's it as far as administrative stuff. I don't want to chew up too much more time with that kind of annoyance. So uh, yeah, if you're a non-Patron Patreon person, welcome to the podcast, and uh, you should go back and listen to the past episodes where Brandon and I—I uh, I guess maybe about the past—I think we had 17 or so, <clears throat> where as we're going to do here, we take some uh, artifact or thing of, of tech content and sort of pull it apart and do uh, what they used to call a close reading of it. And uh, also in this episode, uh, we're just going to have some sort of free associating about a topic I like to call pricing, which uh, I I had some some recent pricing discussion experience uh, when I was on a a little sales call, so I think it's fun to reflect on. So with that, why don't we look at the uh, the thing we chose for this week to do our close reading of. So uh, let's see. I'd be interested in how you characterize this after I do, Brandon, because I don't quite know – I don't know this stuff well enough how to explain it. Uh, but – so I'm on this – how did I get on this emailing list? I'm on this emailing list from some investment bankers, I think. And they had – they used to be called something else, and some – either they renamed themselves to KeyBank or KeyBank bought them. And so I get this email from one of them, uh every day or every other day. And I think this person covers security. So it often lists a lot of security related things, but also just general cloud and infrastructure things. And every now and then it just it's just news. And then he'll tell you the, uh, the schedule of when earnings calls are. And then every now and then there's links to PDFs they've made, which I, I guess these are by side financial analyst presentations. I'm not smart enough to be able to tell the difference between buy side and sell side when it comes to uh, financial analyst stuff. Maybe it's
1: sell side. Well, I think it's... I don't know. Yeah, I think it's sell side in this case. So I, just see, the I, I even side. got sell them mixed side. up. Yeah. No, but sell side, right, is, is usually a bank or some group that's trying to sell you on an idea. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily have a company but go. they are a broker. Yes. So they're there to sell you on the idea. Buy side is usually, you know, you have a lot of money, like a classic example would be like a you're a large uh, pension uh, pension fund and you manage the investment, So you're always taking it every month or, or an insurance company, same idea. Like you're taking in these huge amounts of uh, investments from your clients or premiums right. and you have to then go out and find ideas. So you have the money and you're constantly needing to pull uh, to deploy it. So you're, if you will, buying ideas, but really you're buying securities and investments mm. from sell-side. So like these decks go out all the time that we're about to talk about to buy-side people who are looking for ideas of like what they should do with all their money. There you go. So see, I have demonstrated conclusively that I know this
0: area very poorly. But uh, nonetheless, I shall endeavor to talk about it while Brandon uh, corrects me. Um, but i think i think i think so this one in particular is the uh the let's see it's it's the keybank capital market cloud watch dated january 11th 2018 i'll put a link to it i in in the uh the extended show notes which what with the new thing you'll be able to go you'll be able to find this if you go to softwaredefinedinter dot com slash sixty. Uh, and you can find a link to this and some more detailed notes uh, sort of reading ahead of time. But um, so this is a presentation. Uh, you know, it's, it's not that long. I think maybe it's like 20 or so slides. Uh, it's, it's pretty concise. And, and as, as, uh, as it describes, I love the subtitle, Cloud Party is still raging with SaaS index plus 52% in 2017. Cloud revenue tops $105 billion, up 36% year over year. So that's uh that's pretty fun. Looks like you should invest in this. Am I right, Brandon? I need to transact in there.
1: Right. So I think what they're doing here, I mean, I, I do think it's fair to kind of it's a very clickbaity kind of headline, right? And I think that's the the goal. Is they're trying to catch the attention of somebody that's getting like 50 or I don't know, 10, 50, 20 different uh, ideas a day. So it's like, okay, like maybe this comes across as uh, your, a cloud is the place to invest, but it's also competing with something totally unrelated like financial institutions or mm-hmm. soybeans or like some other exotic security, Bitcoin, whatever right so you know i i get what they're doing here they're just trying to stand out and say like hey we have the best thing here even though it reads kind of like a clickbait headline to me
0: yeah yeah and and i think you know i never really hunted this down but i remember a headline a few weeks back where it was like key bank says azure finally overtaking or overtakes amazon um and i think i think i don't know if it comes from here but there's it seems like it does it comes from this analysis um and so you know uh the, the the clickbaitiness succeeded but i think um, to go back to a little bit of what you're saying now, again, uh, I'll stop disclaiming after this, but I, I don't really know what I'm talking about with this kind of material. But when I look at it, um, the mindset that I have for what the audience is doing to your soybean point is I have, I'm at a very high level. I'm looking to manage a portfolio of investments and my goal with that portfolio is primarily making money, right? So I, I want to invest my cash somewhere that fits into whatever investment strategy I might have. So like, I think, and there's a secondary thing. Hopefully I remember to get to, I think with the pension fund, what that means is, and I'm just making this stuff up, like 90% of my assets are going to be invested in extremely, uh, conservative, low paying investments, like T bills or whatever that is, um, because I can't lose the money. (laughs) So I don't want to lose the money and I want it to maybe be a few percentage points above inflation or just match inflation. So I have that cash there. And then I'm going to take 10% of my other cash and invest it in higher risk things, like all the way up to like giving some money to Sequoia or someone and just seeing if they can do something with it. Because across that, just like anyone's personal investment portfolio, like you want to you try to benefit from crazy uh, high growth things, but isolate, but protect yourself uh, mostly from it. So if you look at something like this, uh, you're like, oh, this is a whole investment category cloud that is uh, rip-roaring awesome, right? Like it's going to be going up, so I should put a little bit of money in here and maybe call up the key bank people to help me with it. So that's sort of like... The first slide is I I don't know I try to make, think about it fitting into that mindset when I'm trying to tolerate the nonsense that follows from my perspective, and then second, um, like when I was working on uh, M and A, we would also be interested in this kind of material one because it's like um, people have done a lot of work for you, <laughs> if <laughs> if you kind of accept the framing that they have and all of that stuff, right. And also, you would be interested in it defensively because your your sort of uh, interlocu- your interlocutors, your foes in strategy discussions, would be using this material as well. So you want to be familiar with it. But more realistically, also from a corporate perspective, you're sort of interested in making money by acquiring companies, and so you might be wondering, uh, we as a very broad technology company. Uh, want to get into cloud, what is it? And, and at least in my experience, they'll use this word participating. How could we participate in cloud? And this would give you a very interesting overview of like, here's a taxonomy. It doesn't really do that very well. But here here's a bunch of companies that you could basically buy that would allow you to participate in cloud and a sense of how, what, their, what their blood work is, what their financial is based on share performance and some other industry types of things.
1: Yep, and I think that's sort of you know Dell being a buy side participant, um, just a different kind. So instead of instead of investing, or not Dell, or but any large company, right? Um, that's how the they actually participate in this kind of set of research or use this research. And and then
0: so so then so that's just the cover slide. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like I, if if you've seen my uh, my my snarky little presentation about how to survive and thrive in big companies, you know, like there's a lot you can get from the cover slide. But then as with any presentation like this, the most important slide comes next slide two, the, uh, and and I like that. They called it, hmm, they have a typo here. They should have said conclusions, but whatever, instead of calling it the executive agenda, they call it the conclusion slide. And this, this is likely the only slide people will really pay attention to and uh, remember things from. So in my experience, at least, or, you know, they'll pick and choose from the buffet of everything else. So in this slide, you're basically you're, this is your whole argument right here and so it looks judging from it like they're doing a good they're doing a good um it's not really tops down is it I, I mean they're doing a good linear argument making a case that you should invest in cloud right as as point number six says opportunity for wealth creation on cloud theme remains ripe M- man that that needs to win some sort of award for phrasing right there. Uh, but um, it starts off by, you know, giving a summary that you had on the, on the previous slide uh, about, like, how the market's growing. And then it goes over a whole bunch of, like, technical nonsense about, like, you know, your enterprise value versus sales. And so there's kind of, like, these metrics that would be accepted. Um, they don't really even have explain these metrics. But here's how you evaluate these companies. Uh, so basically you've got, uh, what what they, they do an enterprise value, uh, versus sales they have and use that, I guess, as a proxy for valuation. They don't really talk about valuation in here. Um, and then, and then they kind of go over some growth and then they further make the case, uh, about their forecast about what they think will happen. And they do this largely based on like CapEx expense and just kind of like extending out the current growth. And then they throw in uh, some analysis of Microsoft, like, sort of like maybe the biggest headline thing that's happened in the cloud market, in their opinion, is that Microsoft is uh, winning against AWS. And then they list off a bunch of stock tickers that you should be invested in owning. And so this is an outline, a summary, it's sort of like you could just uh, run with this and if I were still working on a, on a corporate strategy team, you could torment the next two weeks of my life proving or disproving these theories.
1: And I think it's worth maybe starting, you know, kind of looking back, like, where does all this information come from? So, Mm. you know, the other side of the coin here is, you know, there are all the vendors, you know, large companies that are in the world of, you know, in this case cloud, they all have an investor relations group, right? And so that group is going out and spending a lot of time creating presentations, doing phone calls and doing earnings calls with financial analysts in this world right so if you want to think about it it's sort of like the vendors go out and pitch these financial analysts on why their company is doing great in their strategy and they then give updates they're a public company every quarter right they answer lots of questions so these are the, where the weird esoteric questions in an in investor call go on and then guys like this are on all of those calls so they're on all like in this case the six. As sixty or fifty-five um, you know, different companies, so they're all tracking that. And they're taking notes. They're going to investor presentations where investor relations people are getting up and telling them like, "This is a strategy. It's going to have blockchain. It's going to have you know cloud." Right, getting everyone excited. And then their their job is to then digest that along with what looks like a fairly robust technical analysis of the stock so like what's the premium how is it trading so this is like where all the quant guys get involved and they just like run all these crazy regressions on that And so they then take all of that data right that's what we're seeing is we're seeing the output of all of that work condensed into this case like 37 slides so um so it's kind of like this cycle right it's like as a as a vendor, right, as someone that you know, you have investor relations, so you may be, if you will, providing data into the machine, and then you'll consume the data back because you also may be the type of company that wants to take a look at other companies to invest in or potentially buy. So it's like a weird little little circle of information going on. No, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And and I think
0: I think um, to start pulling apart at it some, right? So point number six, the last point where they list all the stock tickers. This, this is like. Uh, the first, like, most telling thing of what to do with this, right? Because cause you're, you're convinced, like, oh, cloud's a big deal. Uh, and and if you're sort of in this audience, you know, you're like, I I know what a Puffet and a Chef is versus a uh, a Nomad and a Pivotal Cloud Foundry. And then you're like, all right, so stocks I should buy. Adobe, Box, Salesforce, Okta, something called Shop and Workday. And right away, you should be like, uh, this is like telling a vegan to go eat a beef rib, right? Like these categories, like, and from our focus, like make no sense at all. Like they don't really line up. Uh, you, you've sort of just got like, and, and when you pull apart at this, this more, like, I don't think IBM is in here, but you basically have like any company, any vaguely related tech company that transacts over the internet, <laughs> it's, I mean I'm overstating right. it but like it's the the way that they selected these companies is odd and 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 to me um you know some of a lot of them make sense the way that they cluster them together right so i mean saas is a broad category saas is just software and then you know you get you get to around uh, slide 6 where they actually do bucket it out a little bit into general saas and infrastructure and things like that but it it is it is like for me um intellectually challenging to like take you know slide three and on seriously after that grouping (laughs) and and i have to like apply a heavy filter on like you know i i don't want to compare like let's say i don't even want to compare like adobe to box right like those don't really add up but it gets to that point i was trying to make earlier It was like but this is for people who want to just like allocate cash right like they don't they want to have they're interested in investing in this trend or or in this category, but it does it does kind of i guess pun intended cloud up uh the the rest of the content
1: and so yeah I think you know we just kind of have to look at the audience here their their goal right is really around. Just like these are our best investment ideas. And I don't think they I think they intentionally don't want to put a big fence around it. Mm-hmm. And I think also to your point there's a little less knowledge of like how the industry really works, right? So they're not they're not that worried about mixing up, you know, things that are like apples and oranges. So I get that because I think again, like if you think about the other presentation that probably the person saw was like on insurance or on finance, right? Where that's an area like probably if we looked at, we probably would have a hard time telling the difference between you know, right. kind of the esoteric nature of insurance companies.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. If we're in the insurance business, we'd be like, "Look, man, that insurance that you buy at the cash register at Best Buy is nothing like uh, anti-ransom insurance." So you should not compare (laughs) those two things together. Whereas we'd be like, "I don't know, it's insurance," and and so so to that point, right? Like, um, also, it's been my experience that the, the following is another way of doing it. So if we if we go to slide six again, right, where it's sort of like there's some buckets, and you'll remember on the first slide. Uh, they also listed all the analysts they had with their email addresses and the areas they covered, like right on slide one. So this is clearly like a roll-up of a lot of things they do. And often what you would do, like, I remember I would meet with investment bankers and I don't know if they still do this, but back then they would bring, um, they would bring one of those spiral binders of like very nice, thick paper, full color charts of this for you to look through. And they would always be like, oh, you can keep that, uh, which, which is great, uh, It's like a brochure but if you're interested in this what you would do is you would go to like a slide six or the cover slide and be like i'd like a cut that was just security and infrastructure software and then you know they would go back and give you probably like a a presentation that was maybe even double this size and it would detail out only that stuff and then also part of what would provide that bulk if you're doing like in a an m a type of situation and probably also if you're an investor there would be um, a one-page or one-slide profile of every single company uh, that they were talking about, and and that way it does it is sort of like the opening of of the library that they have. So, you know, I can calm myself down by thinking like this is just an overview of all the the, the services that they have, and probably if I paid attention to that email I get, I could uh, get those individual cuts for things. And then and then you get these inexplicable sides slides like seven and eight. I don't know what to do with those slides.
1: Well, <laughs> for well the one thing we should, we should feel, feel a little bit of pain for is the poor MBA interns uh-huh. in uh, first and second year out of college guys that um, have to mm-hmm. produce all of these slides. So like, not only did they produce all these slides, but to your earlier point, they probably produced like several hundred other slides that are in the library or used for different uh, things. So, And, you know, someone told me once that, like, you know, uh, like fonts and, you know, graphs and just all this kind of stuff is very important to investment banks, like getting it right, having it look good, um, you know, because it's sort of, you know he explained to me once that it was you know your ability to be consistent in your presentation and like show your attention to detail sort of you know is a representation of you know how your firm does business so yeah. that's why these poor people like have to like i'm sure like you go through and you look at all these charts and you're like oh man this probably took forever to like format and everything that's why you know they're making these poor guys i should say poor guys they're you know they're guys that are probably working very very long to make these slides that look if you will perfect but then you know you tend to just gloss over really mm-hmm. fast so yeah um, um, yeah. No, so, I, you know, I think there, there's a whole uh, a whole workforce doing that.
0: Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think to digress into some, you know, more old man Cote stories like the the uh, the people, the 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 boys and girls, the men and women who put this stuff together. I, I've been those people like I, I think I have made. So. So let me let me describe slide seven and eight for the people who aren't closely following along at home. Slide seven and eight. Uh, slide seven is best. But basically it's uh, it's nine highly from my vantage point highly technical charts about share price and volume traded and like these troughs of average that the share price operates in and i think something else that's inscrutable there's no legend on it so like people who are looking at this i I guess they know what it is i mean the important part of all these charts except for one of them is that they're all going up to the right (laughs) so (laughs) they got that going for them um but yeah. So, like slide seven, that's a nine by nine thing. I, re- I, old man Cote remembers, I recall taking the IDC black book for enterprise software and making a chart like this for every single, let's see, medium category of software. And man, th- it was, it was like, There's a certain part of me that really enjoyed that, like going in Excel and copying this stuff. It's the same part that enjoys this, where I'm like, ah, you should have fucking, you should have done this and done that, and like this is the way I would format it. And it's kind of like that thing where, um, uh, you know, you're trying to tell someone how to like cook a steak, and they keep screwing up, and you're like, get out of here. Let me just cook (laughs) this for you. It's like a stone soup kind of thing. Um, so yeah, no, there's a lot of effort put into this stuff, and and it can be very disheartening. Because you'll stay up really late for many nights working on it, and then it just gets axed <laughs> at, at the end. Um, but but no, there, you know, I I do admire the people who who put in this effort. And again, like when I look at these, I guess. It was, so the other thing I was going to say is, to your point, um, there's there's one person in particular that I used to work with, and and he was great. He was probably like the best person in corporate development, and. Um, us qualitative nerds, the people who like knew the domain, we would work on stuff and we would give it to him like an hour before the meeting. And he'd be like, Oh, I'm just going to do some arts and crafts. He always used that phrase. And man, the slides he made were beautiful. Like he would, everything would be spelled correctly. Things would be aligned. He would, he really knew how to like do exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is super annoying, but then I would observe like you'd be in the big meeting. And like, if you had like one thing wrong, you are done. Like for whatever reason, a heuristic that consumers of this look at is if you get everything right, which I guess makes sense if you're going to do a big deal, right? Because you need to make sure that you're doing everything right. But there is very, very little tolerance for mistake in this, which, as you can imagine, for me makes me a very poor fit for producing content here <laughs> for the job.
1: <laughs> well, I would say for the you know. It, uh, if you've ever watched somebody either with like a, an investment banker that is like very skilled at creating science or someone that used to do it and they sit down at the keyboard, it, it's very similar, I think, to somebody that builds like the front end for your, your favorite web mm. applications. Yeah. right? Because there's a lot of like – they're very good. There's a lot of keyboard shortcuts. There's lots of stuff you haven't seen. Like someone sits down. So it's very much like – it's really not watching someone create a presentation as much as someone sitting down on an IDE and like going to work, right? Because like, if you don't know what they're doing, it's like they never touch the mouse they're like using all these crazy keyboard commands that you've never seen in excel and you didn't know you could do this in format in powerpoint so it, it is kind of I, i've always thought it there's it's a very similar skill set so if you like if you will like to code i know people will probably like joke at this but like there's an element of powerpoint in excel at the very advanced levels that are very similar right that give you that kind of that same feeling like instead of compiling right or publishing you're sort of like the slide is done and it looks perfect right so it's crazy but it exists
0: yeah yeah and, and on that point uh let, let me go let me go over if you want to quickly assess the arts and craft level of of some work other than the obvious stuff like does it look good uh what's going on there's a few things i would list off first of all uh we'll see if it satisfies this but but um you want to look at the titles never minding the structure the, the, but to be concise about it first of all you want to look at the titles and see how close they are to McKinsey titles, which is to say the title of the slide should basically be the point you want to make with the slide. Like what would be an example? Uh, uh, hmm. Well, we haven't gotten to an example yet because they're laying out all this data. But if you go to, if you go to like slide 13 where it's giving you on slide 13, they have Microsoft AWS inexplicably Salesforce. It, again, I should calm down about that. They have Microsoft AWS Salesforce and Adobe. And they're showing how their growth, their revenue growth has been great. And they project out to 2018 and 2019. And then the title they have is Cloud Titans Could Approach Escape Velocity in 2018. So that's like, that's a pretty perfect McKinsey title. Like if you could w- uh, wangle like some numbers in there too, that would make it perfect. But that's pretty good. So you want to check the titles. And then the kind of subtle thing you do to kind of proofread their their skill at this is you don't always have a McKinsey title. Sometimes you just sort of have like a data bank. And so you just like, for example, slide 11, cloud 60 colon, summary of 2017 exit run rate. Like there's no reason to have a a McKinsey title on there. So that's one thing to check. And then another one uh, is it's always fun to see if they have purchased additional charting software. (laughs) Other than what's in the (laughs) default of Excel. And looking through this, there's a few types of charts that like Excel doesn't produce on its own. Most notably, the Mecco chart. With the Mecco chart, if you if you don't know that, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but man, that's a fun chart. And and so like, there's some software that you can buy that's like three or four hundred dollars to license, and uh, it'll let you make these Mecco charts. And you see those a lot in, I think it's it's either McKinsey or Bain present or or in Goldman presentations, you see a lot of Mecco charts that are made from these these slides. And so Mecco charts are basically, I don't know how to describe them, like. Multi-category, hundred percent area charts. So, what you might have is, let's say you had SAS, PASS, and IaaS, and they would each have their own column that went all the way up to the top. And if you wanted to show market market share of each of the vendors in there, that would be what what that column was built up of. And so, it gives you this this. It's it's not it's like one less than a heat map, like a two dimensional heat map. And and if you've ever tried to create a chart like that in Excel, you have to like handcraft it. Like it's really weird to create a chart like that. And so uh, so Mecca charts are commonly used for like market sizing and things like that. Now there's another chart. Let's see that they also don't have in here. That's really hard to produce in Excel, which is the um, it's basically like a decomposition of a column. So if I let's use market share again. If I had market share for Paz and on the left was was a column that went all the way up to the top. And then what you want to do is each column is just going to be one little floating bar of like the market share of their respective company of it. And this is often used for a buildup. So maybe, maybe a better thing would be like over the next five years, here is the revenue that we're going to get that builds up to our huge amount of revenue. And those charts are really hard to produce in Excel as well. So you can kind of scope out for those charts and, and see if they've done something. And then the other thing, it's hard to tell in a PDF because it all is like this. But if you get a hold of a PowerPoint, the real pros at this, they'll actually embed charts into their slides instead of just taking screenshots. And if if you see that, then you know you're working with a master because the ability to, like, embed a chart is extremely hard. But – it does mean that you can instantly, to your point of programming, you can instantly make changes to it. Right. Whereas if you got a screenshot, you gotta redo your chart and then take a screenshot and move it over here. And then someone's like, oh, this is kind of fuzzy. And then you gotta go
1: back and clean it up and like it's really annoying. Yeah, and I think that gets to the fundamental thing that these financial analysts are doing is they're they're creating models, right? Mm-hmm. And the models that they create then drive the the various caggers and projections. So the reason that's why it's so important to embed that thing is that there probably is like the managing partner or the person kind of running it will actually come up and say hey we've updated the growth rate for this like they've they've made that call and then now like the five guys that work on all the different models and, and uh, their actual powerpoints have to update everything so it's like well yeah. did you, if you took screenshots you got to start all over if you embedded the chart you know a couple clicks and it'll all be updated
0: for you oh oh and the, and then last thing on chart so there's one slide slide 31 which is a uh what would you call it? A three dimensional chart. So it's 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 a bubble line chart. <laughs> it on, <laughs> on on one axis it basically has what does FTM stand for? I forget. It basically has a way of doing evaluation based on I think enterprise value is like everything except I think it's yeah, it's like fair market value
1: versus enterprise yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: And 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 then so I think with with a EV over sales, what you're trying to rate is how efficient is the sales force at creating the valuation of this company or something like that, or how overvalued is it? I I always get confused about ratios, even in cooking. Uh, But, and then on the other, so you got that on the, you would call that the Y axis, right? And then on the other axis, you have the growth of revenue. Um, So I don't even know what that's trying to chart. But then each company is represented by a bubble of different size and, I don't think it even says what that bubble is, (laughs) but, uh, oh, it's bubble size represents relative market cap. Uh, but anyways, that kind of chart used to not be available in Excel and you would have to use an additional charting tool to do it. And then one final thing there is someone spent a lot of time lining up all those stock symbols so that you could actually read them, which if you've ever tried to do that in Excel is really frustrating. Like they make it really hard. Like there's a tiny bubble, for, uh, I don't know, there's this tiny bubble called WK. You can't even see the bubble. And I guarantee you, clicking on that W and the K, someone had to do it multiple times before they could actually get it. And it's it's uh, so a lot of work went into that chart.
1: And I think, you know, it's have, there's all these crazy charts in here. So I think the question, it does beg the question, like, well, why? Like, why is it all this stuff? And so if you want to think of it back to our analogy to programming, I mean, this is essentially the best practices, the coding standard, the, the framework, right? This is the way that... All of, every, all of the investment banks to a large degree have decided to do it. So if you're consuming this information, just like if you were someone that was producing like an API, it, you know, certain expectations that you're going to have for your clients and they're going to want to like see these charts, right? They want to, now they pay, may all have their favorites, but at the end of the day, they, they expect to see all of these uh, and that's the way they want to consume it. Now, if you're just like if you're creating an API and you, you create your own way of doing everything you know people will usually complain right like why didn't you use this why didn't you do this why isn't it yaml whatever whatever, you know, whatever it is same thing uh, with these charts if you produce a deck that's completely custom and no one's ever seen before probably not going to get widespread um, take up with your audience or it has to be really really good it has to be something that you know that blows them away so that's sort of like the charts if you will are kind of the, the shortcuts so that people can quickly digest your information that that brings up another digression that I'll that I'll go into and then I think I think
0: we should get to uh, kind of a, a quick little analysis of the 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 actual content or just kind of talking about it um but you know to the point you're making of of what you decide to put in there and not like it's also good to think of this as as a sales vehicle right so you know, again, they're on the sell side. They want you to do some sort of transaction with them, either work on an acquisition, in which case, once the company's acquired, like it's very spooky how an investment banker's, it's kind of like handshake status stuff where, like, eventually you're going to get paid millions of dollars if a transaction occurs. I don't really know how that pans out. Seems really, it's kind of like a real estate person. You could waste a lot of real estate person's time before actually transacting. Or they, I guess, I don't know, like the pension fund management side too well, or you want, them to, help, you want uh, them to help you buy a huge chunk of stock or something, in which case you probably also get paid. I don't know. Anyways, so in doing that, um, it's really nice to know some, in, some background information on the, the insiders at the company you're working with, namely ways to not insult them. Right. And so like (laughs) so, for example, uh, a good a good iBanker will know that when I'm going to go talk to like, you know, uh, Jane at Acme Corporation for the past three years, she has been trying to convince Acme that they should be investing in red bricks. So maybe let's tamp down this idea that cinder blocks are a good idea. Right. Because we don't want to roll in here. And say, like, you know, SVP of Strategy Jane's uh, thing she's been working on three years. Here's some information to totally discredit it. And instead, maybe let's focus on cinder blocks a little bit more than sort of saying the uh, the sort of true nature uh, of things. And so and usually, you know, you send out this general audience when there's not really a lot of tweaking like that. But it's interesting to think that if you are being hand delivered this, that there probably has hopefully there has been some. Uh, some customizing to you. And then on that note, in my experience, one of the things that I learned to uh, find some delight in <laughs> was when people when when I was doing strategy and M&A, when people would give me a presentation, it was interesting to see how they customized it as a way of reflecting what they thought we were up to and what they thought we cared about. Um, and sometimes they were really good at nailing what we were interested in. And other times they were just totally bonkers. And so it would be kind of like a little joke you would have afterwards. Uh, with them. <laughs> or not with them, with your coworker. So um looking at the actual content, I mean I don't know. Tell me tell me if you want to pick something else, but I think maybe what we should pick is uh slide seventeen because it's sort of like the headline slide, if you will. Um, you, you like that one? I do. Let's and let's go into it. Yeah. So, so slide seventeen. I'll wait for everyone to bring it up. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> it, it 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 the title reads IaaS slash PaaS colon Azure gains ground on AWS. So at this point, I had been reading this and taking notes about how, ah, this is apples and oranges and cats and dogs. And like, I think I even made my usual complaint that like, if, if you look at, if you look at Microsoft and you just look at their cloud business, that also includes like office 365 and a whole bunch of SaaS. So that makes any argument you make totally not good. But this this is actually a very good slide. Now, uh their sources are probably credible. Yeah, yeah. Um you could I I I always love a source that says uh whoever wrote this this chart estimates. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> just like we just made some shit up, right? Like anyways, um I used to always joke when we were doing this that we should start putting source. Me. Um but Anyways, um, but this is actually a pretty good slide and it fits with what you would expect. So if you don't have the slide open, it has revenue for the IaaS and PaaS uh, segments of, of AWS, uh, Azure, and Google. And it also has Oracle in there for an interesting reason. Um, and I think it's actually really good data kind of laying out what the financials look like, the revenue, and I think there's a run rate as well. Uh, and, then, and then they make a bold prediction about uh, what the growth is going to be like, the it's quarterly growth, it's it's fourth quarter year over year growth, uh, and this leads them to make estimates about I think what the the run rates will be for uh, for those clouds, and so this this nuance allows you to figure out what Azure gains ground is. So if you were like me several weeks ago and you read these headlines, you could if you weren't paying close attention or you read an article that wasn't written very well, you would think. Oh, but Azure is now uh, is is now number one over AWS, right? I read something about them uh, gaining ground and everything. But in fact, no. <laughs> <laughs> they they just have demonstrated. I you know I don't even know how you would come up with that headline. They've just grown, <laughs> but right. but well, like also Amazon you, has grown.
1: <laughs> I think this is where you have to like kind of like break into like the more the behavioral psychology of it all. It's like well, I mean, you know, we're about to have, like, a Super Bowl here, right? And the Patriots are back in, and it's, like, their eighth time in so many years. And, you know, people just get tired of that, right? So there's, like, hey, let's talk about the other team, right? And I think, like, if you just look at the numbers, you know, you could have written a headline says, AWS maintains dominance, right? You, I mean, that would be equally a- accurate looking at this numbers. But yeah. it's just not as interesting. And I think the biggest thing they're trying – clearly, the pick they – they want you to do here is they want you to buy microsoft they have a strong feeling that microsoft shares are undervalued and going to do great and you know and they're just so this is back to like motivated reasoning so that's why this slide says that it's like they believe their models have shown that's going to have the biggest gain this year so they're now picking some numbers with a headline that is talking to that narrative but again that's sort of it's not any it's not lying by any means it's no, just no. the way you want to look at the data but you could like i said like you could look at you could probably come up with a headline for every single one like AWS continues dominance or Google Cloud now like you know now officially the third pillar of the cloud you know what i mean you could make any argument here t- that goes with the narrative that you want to push yeah yeah and so so if i if
0: i was the nerd someone had hired and they got all excited about this slide and, and I'm repeating a lot of what you said. I, I would say something like the following. I would say, well, one, pardon me if I'm being too pedantic, but the first thing is that uh, so their estimate for Amazon run rate for 2017 is 19.8 billion. Microsoft is 6.4 billion, and Google Cloud is 3.9. 19 billion is a lot more than 6.4 billion, <laughs> right? So they are clearly the market leader now. That said, uh, to your point, Brandon, what they are showing, and you see this in their uh, the top chart and probably the bottom one if I looked at it uh, quickly, but, well, this is not even true either, but Microsoft has 90% growth velocity, if you will, quarter over quarter. Google has 95%, so arguably they're gaining the most ground, but it's sort of like these people way back behind you, uh, how many times does six go into, uh, like three times, whatever, way behind you are suddenly sprinting. Right, And just like, good for them, right? So they still have a long way to go. But to your that that might exactly fit in it is, um, if Microsoft maintains this growth, they will be an excellent uh, growth investment, right? So never minding who the market share leader is, there might be the opportunity to capture the most profit if we put money in now, and then it becomes better after that. And and indeed, they give you some interesting information out this uh, uh, after this about estimating capex investment that you could kind of like model out is microsoft building enough capex to support the theory that they're going to have this much growth over the next two years which i wouldn't even know how to model that but that's fun um so then the next thing i would tell them is like uh also this is based on q4 revenue and if one has followed uh the it space for a while on vendors q4 revenue is about three to four times bigger than the entire rest of the year (laughs) Right. (laughs) So you have to be really cautious on basing anything off of Q4 revenue, right? Right. Seasonality, basically. Yeah, yeah. You
1: need to adjust for seasonality. Like,
0: you don't really, and a run rate, you know, to be a pedant for people who don't know, a run rate is basically like pick one quarter and multiply it by four, right? So it's an estimate of if you maintained this amount of revenue, what would it be? At least that's one way of doing it uh, there. So you would probably not want to base your run rate on the fourth quarter. And we'll see if any press releases about Pivotal or companies I work with come out that makes me wish I had never said that. Uh, But you don't really want to do anything based on the fourth quarter. You want to, you know, I don't know what you would do, have some sort of average or something. But, um, you know, that's that's a, a caution to have. But that said, to your point, like it does it does show that the not AWS is is performing pretty well and. By having Oracle in there, it does give you an interesting comparison. Like that would be if you were like the little the little three or five reporters out there who always like to uh, shit on Oracle any chance they get. You could kind of run with that as as a uh, they're way behind and their growth isn't good and all that that kind of stuff.
1: But it is interesting. At the end of the day, this slide I think you know has lots of fancy numbers in this whole presentation. But I, I think their whole thesis is something that most retail investors could at least understand, if not yeah. if, even if they disagree. It's just very simple. Amazon as a stock has appreciated a ton in the last few years. So Microsoft, which has done well. Um, but not as well um, probably ha- you know they're just saying has a chance to appreciate more right yep. than Amazon just because valuation and it's like it's a very simple you know I mean w- within all of this densely you know data right it's that simple argument and it's like it's a rational argument or of course the opposite is also true right maybe it's just aws is all this as we talk about all the time amazon has even more room to grow but uh at the core of it is you don't actually need all these slides to just like evaluate that proposition of a stock yourself so don't you know don't ever get too confused by lots of pretty numbers yeah yeah
0: yeah as always you know there's no way financial advice or whatever but man every now and then i'm like god damn it i should have bought microsoft stock in 2005 <laughs> like that—that <that's>, that <laughs> company has done extremely well, uh, especially share price wise. So, uh, before we move on to a, a brief discussion of pricing and whatever else, like it's also fun to look at the last two slides, slides—the last two real slides, slides thirty-four and thirty-five, where they're like, ah, oh, we should throw some qualitative stuff in here. <laughs> <laughs> like, like like what what are some things actually going on uh that drive this and, and, and you get you get some interesting estimates of like blockchain market and other nonsense like that, but it's just sort of like the uh the buzzword stuff. I mean these are you know, an, another way of looking at th- those are kind of like the Mary Meeker slides that you would see. And and Mary Meeker would have a few charts, but like um it's fun to kind of see the the stuff driving it and and uh and uh cinch that up. And this is also another area where I don't know if it's the case here, but oftentimes, in a slide like this, an investment banker will just uh, all of a sudden highlight a company that they're involved with <laughs> <laughs> that that you might be that's interested right. in. So they just would slip that in there uh, as as something that that you might be curious about. So do you, do you have anything else you want to say on that before we uh, talk pricing? Yeah, I think it's good. It's good. Good overview. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure. I won't speak for Brandon, but I said all sorts of embarrassing things, but I think, I think the important takeaway is like knowing the audience and uh, how to use this stuff. And then, and then if you like to entertain yourself with like thinking about the toil put in these, these are fun presentations to, uh, to look at. So just for like a little bit before we wrap up, I thought we we would, uh, I'm more, you know, I'm interested to to hear what you say, Brandon, because I've talked to myself about it already. Uh, But pricing in our space let's call it enterprise infrastructure software is almost like a uh an annoying black art and i was uh i was on a sales call recently um and and longer ago i was on one where uh we had done like a poc with someone and it went really well and they were very interested in what the pricing would be and they needed it like by four <laughs> and this was like you know a noon meeting and um Uh, you know, they had a, I I think they had a spreadsheet and they wanted to plug it in and they were doing their planning for the decision they were going to make around the software. And so just like with, with a car thing, right? Like it's, it's, well, I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of issues to consider when it comes to pricing for things. And on the one side, you know, you go to a website and it's very clear what your pricing is. And we both worked, well, have I worked at a company like this? I think we've both worked at companies that are just very explicit about their pricing and they're basically just you know like a dollar an i p address, and if you have more than a thousand, you can call us and it's just like that's the pricing that we have um now and then, like for example i mean we we work at i v m and Pivotal and they don't typically price that way <laughs> and so so the relationship that everyone on the on of this area, the buy and the sell side with pricing gets i don't know weird and annoying. <laughs> and and it's almost like i'm i I don't deal with this a lot but i'm curious like what your experience of the decorum of pricing is um and what i mean by that to to ask a question and then talk some more is like it's it's it almost feels like if there's this understanding that you're doing enterprise software it's sort of rude to ask about pricing (laughs) like like it's 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 almost a signal of like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Now, in the case of the people I were talking to, it actually had a very good reason. And uh, I think we got an answer back to them very quickly. They had an interesting special case, which is why they needed to do it. But it's, it's just a weird thing for pricing to come up early. Or I don't know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe companies like ours should just be a lot more direct uh, about the pricing. is. But, but how, do you, uh, how do you think about pricing? In, in in that situation where there's not really like a publicly available price.
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, it always comes back to what you're trying to do here is like value discovery. Like what is it? Like you build something, right? And then, you know, the classic way that people always think of it is, you know, if you uh, actually make like a cup of coffee, there's actual costs that go into it, right? And then there's like, you know, traditionally some set of uh, acceptable markup that people have kind of grown. So maybe it's like, Fifty percent retail, or twenty percent, or whatever it is. So the reason it's awkward in software is that you know there's no marginal cost. Like you built the software, and, and, in theory, right? Like every new instance or installation or using your cloud is essentially you know zero cost. So, but that you know you can't price it that way. You're not just going to give it away. So what you're trying to do here is kind of equate the value that the customer is going to get. Um, to what they should pay for that value. And it's often different for different types of companies and different industries. And so if you're... a Employing a direct sales model where people go out and go on sales calls, that's a huge part of the job is to figure out what is the value you're bringing to that customer and then creating a scenario. And it's usually more complicated than just software, right? It's usually some level of training, professional services, ongoing support, right? So you're really going to sit down and put together like a package, Of of uh, things, and then you're going to want to do that coming up on um, by looking at all of the value you're bringing to uh, the table. So, for example, the value like an an airline may get is very different from like a very small uh, person startup, right? So you kind of you have to adjust based on that. So. Then people always say, well, that's unfair, and that's all that doesn't work. And that's where you get into. Well, there are plenty of uh, smaller companies, or not smaller companies. I shouldn't say that. I mean, there are plenty of companies that are more transactional, where they do like SaaS based. They just put it out there, price per user. This is what you want. Put it in your credit card, and that'll work. But when you do that, what happens is that pricing always breaks down when somebody like an airline shows up. They're like, well, we have 300,000 people, so the annual, you know, the price is 60 million dollars <laughs> right, right. a year, and like that's not fair, right? Because no one. Would reap the value there. So that's why. This whole world exists. So, um, but when you're on a sales call, right? I mean, I think it is just part of the qualification process. Um, and normally, it, it it doesn't take place in a meeting because it's an awkward moment, right? It's like talking about like payroll in front of like everybody. It's just sort of like yeah. everyone feels a little bit weird about hearing this. But if you sit down and like maybe somebody that has uh, at least the potential to go get budget and really the sales rep, and they'll start. And the sales rep can usually start with like, well, for a company your size in a similar industry typically we do deals that look this is the average price right and that kind of that is important to happen early on much like if you interview somebody and you're trying to get a sense of like what it is like you may want to tell them like a range uh the salary right yeah, when you you as a person that um is looking for a job you may want to give a salary range where no one's really it isn't something that's uh bide you know um that you're locked into, right? Each person can kind of change their mind, but it gives you a sense of if, if you're in the right ballpark. Because if you want a ten thousand dollar piece of software, and you know that's all you have, and like you know, like getting fifteen thousand dollars is going to be hard. Well, you know, you're not going to buy enterprise software, right? You're not getting, you're not going to be talking to very large companies with enterprise solutions, right? You need there's a whole another class of uh, like SaaS based companies or transactional companies that can help you, right? And that's a whole different model. So. You know, people get frustrated, I think, about pricing, and there's always this, like, well, it should just be simple, and it's like, well, the truth of that is, like, large companies aren't simple. Doing business with them aren't simple, and that's why you have a direct sales rep, and that's why you end up with, like, complicated pricing discussions.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 guess, I guess maybe, to, at least in my mind, to summarize a lot of that, if, if there was sort of, like, the <clears throat> mismanners of enterprise software pricing, I, I think it would be something like the following, like... Uh, if you don't know what the price is, it's going to be high, (laughs) right? Like, like, and in that situation, uh, it's good to have a side conversation as the buyer about price instead of just laying it on them, like in a big open meeting. And the reason that you want to do that is if, if they have, you know, unless you know, otherwise that that this is the case is if they have a high price, it's going to be a high touch ongoing relationship that you're going to be having and you'd like to start off on a good foot with the uh, the person who's going to be managing your account and the company. So you want to do nice things with them. So it's fine to go have like a one-on-one meeting early on and things like that. But, you know, unless you have some other circumstances, it's difficult to, uh, to talk about pricing. And then also the other heuristic to that point is like... Uh, everyone should be able to share ranges at some point. And equally, like if you're the buyer and someone's not telling you prices, you should assume it's expensive. That's the range you're with, but you do very early want on want to avoid a situation. Like I had a, uh, in a slightly different area to use a, like a pay thing. I had a friend who was, you know, in about my um, age and point in their career. And they were interviewing to be basically like an evangelist somewhere. And the interview was going great with this pretty established company. And then eventually the company was like, oh, yeah. And then I think we were thinking about starting your salary at like 60000 a year. And then this person was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> right? Because uh, that was like, you know, junior level pay compared to what the job that they were leaving. And so it was sort of like a big waste of time on their side. So it is good to like gate at the beginning uh, what something going to be. And usually on the... um Usually on the sales side, the salesperson, unless they're terrible, is not going to be there unless they know the company could pay their prices, right? So they're not going to just go talk to the bodega on the corner or whatever to sell them, you know, an Oracle database. So there is, it's highly likely that there's there's a mixing of, uh, of, of prices that will work out, but it just gets down to the budget that someone actually has.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the important thing there is like there's – there really is re- required – there's a responsibility on both sides just like you said with someone interviewing is that – and I think everybody um, always believes like, well, if I don't disclose any information, then there's a chance they're going to come back and offer me <laughs> right. $50 million a year. And it's like, well, listen, you can do that. I mean that is – I'm not saying it's impossible. I mean there are instances where you can actually lowball yourself. But once you've worked for a while, right, and you have friends and companies and like maybe you guys just talk openly about maybe not about specific salaries but kind of like hey this kind of job pays this right like you know once you're kind of comfortable in that like you should be totally okay just giving that information because it's really just helping everybody um, come down and I think you know to your point about a sales rep like the only time I think it's it's really um, the sales reps at fault if they really push and push and push to get a meeting right like they've been on the the customer, the spot prospect for a long time and the prospect's like fine come in you know give i'll give you 30 minutes and then they find out you know that the guy doesn't have any money well that's on them right because there are times where people really push in just like there are times i'm not saying your friend did this but there are times when people take an interview where it's like well listen i mean you probably knew this job that was you know based in uh You know, let's say somewhere in the Midwest and, you know, didn't, uh, and only required like one year of experience, uh, you know, probably not a great fit. You know, if you're living in San Francisco (laughs) and you have 25 years and you're looking for like free lunches, like, you know, you, you know, it's probably on you to ask some more questions. Like, hey, before I go through this interview, I just want to give you a sense of here's where I'm at, you know, something like that. So, um, So, again, like, you know, but it doesn't have to be contentious, right? It can always be – like, I think if you start, and that's what I think salespeople always talk, it's like kind of building the value chain, right? It's like this is what we can do. This is how we think it uh, increases, you know, the productivity of your company usually, and this is what we think you should pay. And then, you know, usually it's it's not as complicated as people think. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, so there you
0: go. So as a reminder – uh, all the exegesis stuff is moving to uh, software defined interviews, which you can go to softwaredefinedinterviews.com. interviews if you 're over uh, if you 're a patreon, a patreon a patron uh, i 've turned off the charging you for stuff uh, so you won 't be paying any more money and thanks for thanks for your money we all like money uh, and it 's in- encouraging for us um, and i 'm going to turn that off in about a month or so so if you 're subscribing to your custom private patreon RSS feed you need to go to uh, com and find the RSS feed, which is softwaredefinedinterviews.com slash RSS, and eventually it'll show up in uh, Overcast and iTunes and all those other things, but it'll take a little while, uh, I don't know, up to a couple weeks. This is, for podcasters, this is like the DNS refresh of podcasters, like when you update these things, who knows what happens? It's out of your control. Uh But that way you can uh, go get that. And uh, also, this means that all the old episodes are free. Uh, If you're someone new and you want to go listen to that stuff, they're pretty good episodes, if I don't say so myself. Uh, And I think that's it. As always, you know, if you want to join us in our, uh, our Slack channel, You can discuss uh, things that we've done. We put, like, news that we'll be talking about, and there's a little bit of just, like, industry chatter in there from time to time. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash slack, uh, you can sign up for that. You can invite yourself, and we have a weekly newsletter that we send out at the end of the week, let's say Friday or Saturday, depending on what's going on, and I often put, like, a uh, a small, usually smallish little uh, write-up or essayish kind of thing in there. And then a link to all the content that we've we've produced recently. And then a whole bunch of links that we found interesting throughout the, week with, throughout the week with a little summary there. And then finally, if you want to buy a t-shirt, and why wouldn't you? I just finally got mine the other day. It's like standard, very comfortable, good conference t-shirt with the uh, the charming Software Defined Talk logo on it. Uh, we're selling those for $25. And if you just go to Software Defined Interviews or Software Defined Talk.com, Look at the show notes here you can find a link to it and uh, you can order yourself one up and uh and then also double finally I think I've remembered all the stuff finally Brandon we'll have to see find <laughs> if if you want to get a sticker we will send you a sticker for free if you uh, fill out the contact form over at softwaredefinedtalk.com and you'll see contact up there and just send us your mailing address and uh brandon or just...
1: or you can do I was gonna say or you can many people have found me in the slack channel uh, and yes. I just just sent um, my first one to South America, so there you go, São Paulo somewhere. So it's good. So we've I've sent them pretty much everywhere. Um, so it's exciting to I like I enjoy uh, getting uh, the emails or emails and the addresses of our various listeners. It's, there you go. We have a very international audience, is what I've learned. So basically, get your mailing address to Brandon.
0: You can do it through the yeah. contact form. However or other lines,
1: contact form or Slack or whatever. Else. Don't show up at his door
0: though. That's creepy. Don't. No, that'd don't be do bad. Don't but, uh, yeah, he, Brandon was delighting me recently. He was, he was telling his wife that he's going to the post office, and she was like, really? And he was like, yeah, it's awesome. I'm going to the post office. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Got to get them out. Got to get the stickers out. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Well, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.